Talk to my friend Drew. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As Drew Die Allen. Conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom. Welcome to the Drew Allen Show. This is Drew Allen, your millennial minister of truth. Captain, the Democrats hate when I call myself the millennial minister of truth, by the way, which is part of the reason I did it. You know, if, if, you, if you're just joining for the first time, you know, I do things like this, obviously, well, because I want to, it's the Drew Allen show, but the millennial minister of truth thing came up. If you don't recall, uh, or as you might recall, the, the Democrats were trying to push a ministry of truth on the American people. Remember this captain? It wasn't that long ago. It went down in flames. But anyway, I thought, you know what? I am going to declare myself the minister of truth, as a matter of fact. And uh, I happen to be a millennial, and it sounds fantastic. But um, there's no really positive way to say this. The Republican Party is a disaster. They're, they're a wreck. They have... Well, today, we are one congressman down. The Republicans are, right? We have a very small majority in the House of Representatives. But of course, they voted to get rid of, expel George Santos. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But before I get into that, because there's no putting lipstick on a pig. There's just no doing it. What's going on is very, very disheartening. To me, as an American citizen, as we look at what needs to be done to save the country, and the Republican Party's made it very clear that we will get no help from them. They are not interested. Their goals are not the same as ours. And we are being bamboozled. Being bamboozled by 100-plus Republicans who... Don't understand the situation in America. Don't understand how dangerous it is. They don't care. Or they're just corrupt. I don't know. You decide. Did you watch the debate last night, Captain? Captain says no. I didn't watch the debate either. For one, the Cowboys game was on, Captain, and that was way more interesting to me than watching two wannabe presidential candidates who will never be president debate each other. But also... I had to get up at 4 a.m. this morning because I had an interview on Epic Times. They have a TV station uh, with a bunch of, you know, programming, whatever else. So I was up at 4 for that. So I had to go to sleep early. And I, I missed the Cowboys game, Captain, because they came back and won. I went to sleep and they were down. And I thought, man, this is ridiculous. They're down to the Seahawks. Is this it? Am I going to be disappointed again this season? And then, anyway, I woke up and they apparently had won the game, which was amazing. I wish I would wake up. After going to sleep on the eve of like a George Santos vote captain to be surprised that the Republicans actually had some balls. That's what I, I really am waiting to happen. But I just want to get into this um, first. Maybe I'll talk about the debate later. I, I don't really know. But uh, this was the third effort to oust George Santos. Now, I want you to think about all the things going on in the country. 
that need fixing. I want you to think about the open border. I want you to think about the threat of China. I want you to think about the fentanyl that is killing 100,000 Americans every year now that's pouring across the border, of course. A lot of these issues have to do with the border. We have a financial crisis in America. We have inflation that is destroying, destroying the American family, the individual American who cannot pay for basic necessities. I saw a report from a study the other day. I think the figure was nine. It could have been $12,000. I think let's go with a lower estimate, but it was high. It was almost $10,000 that you have to be making today to to be in the same financial position you were one year ago. And that's just the average American family. So the average American needs to be making $10,000 more today than they were last year in order to have the same amount of money because inflation is crushing them. Things are very, very bleak in America. The American people are suffering. And the Republican Party has a majority in the House of Representatives. Now, I understand they don't have the majority in the Senate. I understand they only control one chamber, and it's a slim majority. But nonetheless, the Republicans will make, will go to great lengths, expend a lot of energy and effort to do things and pass legislation when it suits and helps the Democratic Party. But when it comes to doing things to help the American people and to actually fulfill the wishes of their conservative Republican constituents, I don't even think it's on the list of priorities. Now, before I talk about what happened with George Santos, I just want to tell you what James Comer recently revealed before this vote to expel George Santos, the Republican congressman from New York. What he just exposed, revealed about Joe Biden and his crime syndicate family. Um, well, first and foremost, we have James Comer providing more information about the elaborate bribery money laundering operation to enrich Biden himself. A red flag document was released from James Comer that provided more evidence on the cashing in point, and it came from an impartial source. This document, just added to the list of evidence, is a June 2018 email from an internal bank investigator someone trained to look for money laundering that flags suspicious activity within a Hunter Biden joint ventures account. In his email to an executive at the bank, the investigator says he's been monitoring Hunter given his designation as a PEP, an acronym for politically exposed person, a class of client that poses a risk of bribery or corruption. So the investigator queried why anyone 
Hunter Biden was getting paid millions in fees when it does not appear there were services rendered. So the bank investigator was concerned that the Chinese money, in this case, flowing into Hunter's account, was unrelated to actual business and suggested the bank reevaluate its relationship with the customer. Of course, there were reports of China targeting the children of politicians and purchasing political influence through these sweetheart deals. And this email, by the way, was written years before Hunter's laptop went public. Bank records, according to Comer, obtained by the House Oversight Committee, show that at least $40,000 of that $5 million quickly ended up in a Joe Biden bank account via his brother James, who recorded it as a repayment of a loan. So not only do we have, obviously, more evidence that Joe Biden was a liar on the campaign trail and to this day repeatedly telling us that he didn't know about his son's foreign business dealings, but we have bank records showing that he got a cut of that money coming from the communist Chinese. We have the FBI speaking to, recording conversations with confidential human sources that were reliable under the Obama administration even, reporting to the FBI, outlining how Joe Biden engaged in a bribery scheme in Ukraine. This is happening in multiple countries across the world. And the, Dem- and the, the Republicans have not even pushed forward really with an impeachment inquiry. They have not impeached Joe Biden on this. They have not impeached Joe Biden on the border situation, which of course is treason. He is failing to uphold his constitutional obligation to protect the United States of America by facilitating the dangerous and unlawful criminal illegal invasion of our border. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it, Captain? And then you've got George Santos. George Santos. What did he do? Well, firstly, George Santos has not been convicted of anything yet. And I don't love George Santos. I really don't care. This isn't about how much I like George Santos. This is about priorities. This is about perspective. This is about strategy. This is about a desire to protect the country. And the Republicans have proven that they are more interested in doing what the Democrat Party wants them to do than doing what the American people need them to do. So Santos has lied about his history. He's embellished events. And I'll be clear, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it's hilarious what George Santos has fabricated about his past. But who else has lied about their past extensively? How about Joe Biden? Has he not lied about his entire past? Does he not make up stories? Story after story, whether it's corn pop, whether it's the train conductor on Amtrak that it was dead before this event could have happened when he said the conductor congratulated him, told him he'd done X amount of miles on Amtrak. Was Joe Biden lying about his history when he said he graduated in the top of his law class when he actually, in reality, truthfully, graduated in the bottom, nearly dead last? And how about Focahontas? Huh? 
How about her, Elizabeth Warren? Did she not get ahead in life because she lied about being a Native American? This happens all the time everywhere you look. But an ethics committee report, and there's no reason to disbelieve this, George Santos may very well be guilty of another, another, uh, a, a number of things. And I'll get into a few of these things. If I even printed them out, Captain. Who knows today? Been up since 4 a.m. But happy to be here nonetheless. And Captain is here with me. So here's a few things here. So this, this ethics committee report, because look, I want to be fair. I want to give you all the information. You know, it is not my job. I, I'm not here to tell you what to think, you know, but I am here to give you the information that nobody else gives you so that you can actually think critically and maybe even get where I do in the end. But that's the job. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, Captain, I am so tired of people on our side, on the other side, on all sides, trying to take advantage of people emotionally. I'm sick and tired of it. You know what? I have one purpose. You know what my, you know what my purpose is in life at this point? It's to do what's best for the country. That's what I care about, number one, because I care about my family. I care about you, to be honest. I care about my American brothers and sisters. I care about Captain. I care about Captain's kids who are growing up in this crap hole right now. And that's my focus. What is good for the American people? How are we going to save the country? And outside of that, I don't care. I'm sick of the games. I'm sick of the lies. I'm sick of everyone, you know, they call it grifting, whatever you want. I'm not into that. This isn't the show for you if you're into that. This is where you come for facts. This is where you come, obviously, to hear me passionate. But that's what I care about. And so I'll tell you about George Santos. Because George Santos may very well be a scumbag. But you know what? Congress is full of scumbags. And George Santos, despite what I'm going to tell you, what they're accusing him of, accusing him of, this is nothing compared to what the very people who just voted to eject him, expel him from Congress, have done themselves and are doing right this moment, as a matter of fact. So this report detailed substantial evidence of the congressman funneling campaign funds to cover personal expenses. So these are campaign finance violations. You know who else is guilty of campaign finance violations? Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. In fact, the FEC fined her. It was the biggest fine, I think, in history. Because she lied about the Steele dossier, Trump-Russia collusion. She called it legal fees. It wasn't. It was opposition research. And they fined her for it, and it was a fat fine, and nobody cares. Nobody ever cared. She destroyed evidence. She destroyed her hard drives. She destroyed all of this stuff, these emails that were sent. She violated the law. And what's happened to Hillary Clinton? Nothing. Nothing at all. AOC, by the way. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio, Sandy Cortez. Well, she's committed campaign finance violations. Did you know that? A two-year federal probe found that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's campaign did not properly disclose some of its expenses. But the Federal Election Commission voted to give her a pass. 
And we were talking about a million dollars in expenses. A million dollars. And they just said, ah, it's cool. It's AOC. Who cares? Is she still in Congress, Captain? Last time I checked, she was. Has AOC been expelled? Have they had a vote on that? No, they didn't have a vote, did they? She's still in there? Yeah, that's right. Not to mention the people that are pro-terrorist. The pro-Hamas wing. The squad, if you will, which includes Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You have people in Congress who are openly calling for the genocide of Jews when they say, I don't even remember the saying, Captain. What is it, from the, from the whatever to the sea? I don't even know. I can't remember the saying. But you know there's that saying. You know it. You're just saying, Drew, you forgot. How could you forget? 4 a.m., folks. That's how I can forget. But, um, you know, so you got people who are openly friendly and supportive of Hamas and other terrorist regimes around the country in Congress. Let me ask you what's worse. What's a bigger crime? Apparently, it's not a crime if you're a Democrat, but to misuse campaign funds or to be in Congress and openly advocate for hostile terrorist regimes around the country who want to kill Americans? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a trick question. It's really not. So anyway, so examples include he, you know, he spent $4,127 at Hermes, smaller purchases at OnlyFans, which is a website that hosts adult content, Sephora, money at Ferragamo, $6,000, he spent money on Botox, Airbnb. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. If you actually investigated everybody in Congress, I can't tell you how many of them misuse funds. Misuse funds, abuse funds, abuse the American people. And it's not that it makes it right. But the point is, you're now playing, you know, this is what's happening to George Santos. It's a classic Sololinsky tactic. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. So the Democrats don't have any principle. Their only objective is victory. They're not limited by anything. They're not constrained by morality. But Republicans, oh yes, they're so moral, except they're not. But, you know, they have these standards. A Republican can't... Now, Democrats will do this all day long and Democrats don't do anything. They'll protect their own circle of the wagons. But the Democrats understand that and they'll exploit that with the Republicans. And they also understand that Republicans, by and large, care deeply about what the media says about them. Republicans are cowards. So anyway, so there, there are some serious allegations there. There are some serious allegations there. But of course, you've got at the same time in the Senate, you've got Bob Menendez who everyone is admitting, even Democrats, saying that Menendez, what he's accused of, what he's being investigated for, is far more serious and severe than what they just expelled Santos over. And I want to say one more thing about this Santos situation. Santos is the first congressman, congressperson, congress pronoun, to be forced out like this before an indictment. 
before he's been found guilty. You understand that? The presumption here is that he is guilty until proven innocent. And so they will get rid of Santos over this, but they will not impeach Joe Biden when there are mountains of evidence which prove that he is far guilty of far more than Santos. You think the Democrats would expel their own like this? Of course not. Of course not. So this is a big deal. In U.S. history, there have been just 20 members of the House and Senate who've been voted out. That's between both the House and the Senate, both chambers. And 17 of those go back to the Civil War for disloyalty to the Union. Treason, effectively. So Santos is only the sixth House member ever expelled. Two others since the Civil War. So 1980, 2002, after, after criminal convictions. So, you know, it's amazing because the Democrats never could have expelled Santos on their own. It required a two-thirds majority vote. The Republicans have the majority. So the Republicans just helped the Democrats get rid of a reliable red vote. Who does this to themselves? Who does this? You've got Jamel Bauman, who just pled guilty to a misdemeanor crime, criminal offense, because he pulled the fire alarm to interfere with a vote that was going to take place in the House over funding the government. And he lied about it. Where are the calls for Jamel Bauman to be expelled? Huh? Bueller? Bueller? Bueller, anyone? No. Um, so anyway, but here you go. So now, now they're going to have a special election in New York. And there's a strong possibility that a Democrat wins that seat. But there's another thing I wanted to draw your attention to as well. And that's the January 6th committee. Are you aware, have you heard about this, Captain? Um, you know, the J6 committee, they brought in all these people, right? And they filmed the interviews as part of their process, right? Behind closed doors, whatever. Are you aware that the footage is missing? So all these people that the J6 committee brought in, like Hutchinson, right? Cassidy Hutchinson, who I call the Hutch, right? She turned on Trump. Well, they can't find the footage. Now, you're supposed to preserve this footage, but it's missing. Now, George Santos has been expelled over crimes he hasn't been found guilty of yet, but you have an entire J6 committee who was engaged in, uh, yeah, treason, Treason by trying to frame effectively Donald Trump. He'd already been found not guilty of inciting an insurrection. 
So then they created a J6 committee to try again and to build this fake case against him. And they did it in a partisan way. They would not let anybody friendly to Trump be on the committee. So they put together this hostile group whose only job was to try and fabricate, just like Trump-Russia collusion, a case to prove that he was involved in inciting an insurrection. And just like a court, right? You submit evidence. You have depositions, which is what they did as well. Well, those depositions are all missing. So let me read this to you. Representative Barry Loudermilk, Republican of Georgia, who chairs the House Administration Oversight Subcommittee, that's looking into the security lapses connected to the Capitol riot, etc., says, We found out about this early in the investigation when I received a call from someone who was looking for some information off one of the videotapes, and we started searching and we had none. I wrote a letter to Benny Thompson. Now, Benny Thompson's the Democrat who headed the J6 committee. And Benny Thompson confirmed to Barry Loudermilk that they did not preserve those types. He didn't feel they had to. So you understand the J6 committee destroyed evidence? Where are the calls to expel Benny Thompson? To expel Adam Schiff, to expel Jamie Raskin, Representative Aguilar, and whoever the other people on the committee were, huh? Speaking of ethics violations, Adam Schiff went on TV day after day while Trump was in office, telling the American people via CNN and MSNBC that he was certain that they had the evidence that Trump was guilty of collusion, that he stole the 2016 election. He said this every day and behind closed doors admitted that he was lying. Where are the calls to expel Adam Schiff or frankly anybody involved in the coup attempt, which was Trump-Russia collusion? When it was discovered that General Milley, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, committed treason, when it was learned and revealed that General Milley went to his Chinese counterpart and told them while he was working for Trump that he would warn the Chinese ahead of any moves by Trump. That's treason. He was allowed to continue serving. There were no calls for his resignation. Or if there were, they didn't go anywhere. They were very quiet. I must have missed them. My point is we have the most corrupt government in the history of mankind, in my opinion, at this moment, because of how powerful we are and how long we haven't known about it or discussed it, that we've been blind to it. We have experienced a coup attempt in our lifetime just a few years ago in 2016, a quid pro quo impeachment. We've experienced J6, which was a setup by the Democrats, probably rhinos, and everyone in that same Trump-Russia collusion orbit that tried to destroy the presidency. They've been covering it up. We have a situation in which elected officials and unelected officials shut down the private sector over COVID-19. And they will not, they, they obstructed, they lied, they've been, inv- I mean, we still don't know what happened, Captain. 
Fauci's got himself a new $20 million house. He's retiring. Do you see my problem with the George Santos thing? The Republicans will not go after anything that actually matters. They will not seek out retribution. They will not seek out justice when it comes to the most vile, evil, obvious criminals in our government and beyond. But when it comes to George Santos, who is nothing, he's Mother Teresa compared to all these other people and even many of his colleagues. And he's expelled from Congress. I don't know. Have I made my point, Captain? I don't think there's much more to say about it. Uh, but, you know, cue up. Cue up. Uh, what was cut? What's cut to labeled, Captain? What does it say? Santos. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Play this. So this is Santos at a press conference on Thursday, the day before he was voted out of office by over 100 Republicans who joined in with the Democrats to do so. I just want you to hear him because as much as I don't think Santos is uh, some upstanding citizen, even those who are not upstanding citizens, even those who have committed wrongs can oftentimes speak the truth. And I want you to hear Santos here defend himself ahead of what happened on Friday. Go ahead, Captain, play it. I cooperated. I provided them every single document uh, for the most part that they went off of came from my counsel. Mr. Santos, Mr. Santos. Go ahead. You said that this is a distraction to the institution. I know you've been getting this question a lot, but if it's really, truly a distraction to the institution, why not just resign? Because if I leave, they win. If I leave... The bullies take place. This is bullying. The, rep, the chair of the committee putting out a motion to expel, just introducing it and not calling it privilege, was designed to force me to resign. But he didn't even have the fortitude to go ahead and call the privilege. He had someone else do it, someone who's actually just recently done one on me, which is Congressman D'Esposito. So the reality of it is it's all theater. It's theater for the cameras. It's theater for the microphones. It's theater for the American people at the expense of the American people because no real work's getting done. Go ahead. I will be filing. I will be filing a slew of complaints uh, in the coming hours uh, of today and tomorrow to make sure that we keep the the playing. Honestly, he's exactly right. It's theater. It's a distraction. The work that we need to be getting done on our behalf is not getting done. I think I'm frustrated, Captain, because I see one of the greatest opportunities, honestly, in our history to improve the country, despite all of our setbacks because of the Biden administration and even the Obama administration before that. We have such an opportunity because never before in my lifetime, and granted, I'm 36. I mean, this is, I, I guess if I was to use something that I'm at least familiar with in history, what we're looking at in 2024 is like what we looked at the last time when Reagan beat Carter. I mean, this is the kind of opportunity we're looking at, and it's needed to put the country back on track and then also to ensure that it stays on that track by convincing the American people 
those people who have previously been reliable Democrat voters to come over to our side, to give them a reason to do so. But the Republican Party is not inspiring. They give people no reason to vote for them. They give them no reason to support them. And I can't understand it. Captain, I'm stumped. I just cannot understand a group of so many people and a political party in the Republican Party that goes out of its way to make itself irrelevant. Politics is about power. It's a power struggle. Elections are a power struggle. Who's going to control the House? Who's going to control the Senate? And why do you want to get that power? Well, you have a legislative agenda. You have something supposedly you believe in. We know what the Democrats believe in. They want to destroy the country. They want to push their left-wing Marxist agenda as far as they can. And their path leads to totalitarianism. Now, I know what I stand for as a conservative, but I can't tell you what the Republican Party stands for. They stand for nothing. Nothing. And I am not trying, I hope you understand, I am not trying to discourage you. That's, that's not my objective, but it is discouraging. When we need, and I've said this on the show before, when we need a formidable political party more than ever before, it is nowhere to be found. And we are feeling like there is no recourse except in Trump. And this is the difference. People will vote for Trump, but they will not vote for these other Republicans at some point. And what we're witnessing is the squandering of the greatest political opportunity perhaps in our history. And I just don't know what to tell you right now. I don't know what to tell you, to be honest. Well, let's do something else. Let's go on a cute cut number one for a second. So, um... I was on Epic Times TV this morning, uh, NDTTV, it's called. I was on their morning show. And I was asked to comment about Chris Cuomo, you may recall, the younger Cuomo brother. He was on a podcast recently. And he said he was open to voting for Trump. Open to voting for Trump. And before I speak here, I cut out the lead in. That's why I'm doing this explanation now. I was asked, you know, if the circumstances, if this administration had contributed to that. So I want to play my response and then I want to comment because it's live TV. You've got five minutes, maybe you run out of time. They've got questions they want to go to TV, by the way. It's really a a craft to develop. 
I, I, I'll be honest, I'm pretty good on TV now, but I was not at one time. I mean, I remember my first TV interview and it was a disaster, Captain. Actually, you know, you know what my worst, you know what taught me actually everything I need to know? Because, okay, when, when, you're, when you're on a TV interview, right, if you're not in studio, you never know how much time generally you actually have. And even if they told you you had five or eight minutes, you're not looking at a clock. Because you don't want to be your eyes darting all over the place. You just kind of want to stay focused on, in my case, just like I'm doing now on the video, looking at the camera. And so you're kind of in a trance and you're just listening and you're trying to speak. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate dance because you, you need to talk and make a point and fill airtime. That's why you're there. Otherwise, they wouldn't have guests on. They just keep talking. But you can't talk too long because they have other questions to get to as well. So you just kind of have to feel it out. And I don't know how to explain how you do that except through experience. You just know when to end. You know when to end. And, and, and you've also got to be a little greedy. I, my, my least favorite type of TV interview, Captain, is the panel discussion. I don't like the panel discussion because you're competing with other people for airtime. And, you know, I went on Chris Salcedo. That was my first Newsmax interview. And I was very green still with the TV stuff. And uh, uh, who was I on with? I'll think of his name later. You will know who he is because he's a he's been around for a long time. He's very talented. I have nothing bad to say about him. But he's not, he wasn't green. I was green. So I'm going against, I, I'm on this panel discussion. It's just me and one other guy. And we're both answering these different questions. And, and I was sitting there trying to be re- respectful of, of him having time to speak as well. So I, I, I didn't want to speak too much or say too much because I want to make sure the other guy, this is me, right? Being thought, I want the other guy to be able to make his point. And so what ended up happening is I looked like a goober who didn't have anything important to say. And I made him look really good because I ceded all my time to him, expecting him to do the same thing. But, you know, when you're on TV, it's all about you. It's all about you. So anyway, uh, so I was on on this show this morning. And uh, anyway, here's my response to the Cuomo stuff because I want to add to it uh, things I wish I'd said in the moment. Go ahead, Captain. This is an indefensible administration. I think that's what the takeaway from the Cuomo comments are. This administration is so bad, so miserable, uh, that even Cuomo is uh, hesitant to come out and defend the Biden administration because he can't do it. And Cuomo joins Cardi B. He joins a long list of people who are dyed-in-the-wool Democrats, people that that vote is just supposed to be expected. You see that in the black community, too. I mean, they feel like they're being taken advantage of. And uh, he's saying... No, I'm actually open. Now, Cuomo, of course, isn't coming out and he's not MAGA and he's, you know, he's not one. Of, he's not like me. But people are now uh, ex- experiencing what I think Trump supporters were forced to kind of feel for a while, which is, you know, they're supposed to be a little bit sheepish about their support because, I mean, how can you support this administration? So, yeah, I mean, people feel it objectively. The data is the data. Everywhere you look by every metric, uh, this, this administration is a historic failure. So anyways, so so the interview went on, you know, a little bit longer than that. He asked me a couple other questions, but I want to play that clip because 
I wanted to articulate something better. A, a point that I, I don't think I made quite like I wanted to in that interview about the Cuomo interview. Cuomo saying, you know, well, look, Cuomo, by the way, he didn't say he loves Trump. He tried to equate the Trump presidency with the Biden presidency, saying we survived both. So he'd be open to voting for Trump because there's really no difference. But but it is a telling sign for Cuomo to say that because think about many of your friends and family members who are Republicans or conservatives. And during the Trump administration and up to 2020, do you remember how defensive, maybe you were too, but how defensive some people were when it came to Trump, like you were going to vote for Trump, but you were apologizing for it almost, right? When you were, when you were confronted about who you're voting for, or politics came up, you'd always qualify it. Like, well, I'm going to vote for Trump, but I really, yeah, I'm with you. I don't like his personality. I think he's mean. I think he's whatever. You know, we did that because the Democrats made us almost feel ashamed. We were quiet Trump supporters because of all the propaganda they put out. They made us almost buy that reality ourselves. And for the first time, I see Democrats behaving the same way, which is positive for us. Because if we can change our mentality and be positive and optimistic and excited about our candidate, Trump, I don't think we can be beaten, Captain. Because it's the Democrats now who are on defense. They are ashamed of Biden. They are ashamed of the Democrat Party right now. Many are ashamed of the scenes they're seeing on TV, on college campuses, in New York City, of pro-Hamas people protesting in the street against Israel and for the terrorists. People see that and they're ashamed. And this is the time that we need to push forward and say, yeah, you should feel ashamed. Look what we have in Trump, the greatest ally to Israel. You guys said all this stuff about Trump. He didn't do any of this. There was no war in Ukraine. There was no potential war in the Middle East. China wasn't on the move and threatening to invade Taiwan at any moment. They were in check. Everyone was in check because they feared Trump. They respected Trump despite the lies from the left. And so that's what I was trying to articulate there about this opportunity. Cuomo and other Democrats, that's the sentiment among them. They're ashamed, finally, of the Democrat Party, which is such a victory. It means that people have opened their minds and ears to what? They're now receptive of a message. They're receptive of something different. They're not closed off. And that's the biggest gift we can have right now is open minds, which are typically closed because of partisan politics, because of CNN, because of propaganda, because of indoctrination. And now those minds are opening up and we have a chance to get through to them. Well, I want to get into this other story because I might run out of time. You may have heard this, Derek Chauvin, who did not kill George Floyd, but is in prison for killing George Floyd because of a mob rule in America. Well, you know, he's serving jail time and he was recently stabbed 22 times in prison 
by a supposed Black Lives Matter vigilante inmate. Now, this person who stabbed Floyd 22 times, his name was John Tersek. And it turns out that he was sentenced back in 2001, and he is a former FBI informant. A former FBI informant. Now, that may mean nothing. That may, there may be more to the story. There are probably a number of FBI informants in jail, to be honest, that are turned to still commit crimes and so on and so forth. So I'm not going full-blown committing to this, but it's an interesting piece of the puzzle. Because, of course, Tucker Carlson comes out and proves that Derek Chauvin is in prison for committing a crime that he didn't commit. Because ultimately, the reason that George Floyd died was what? Lethal doses of fentanyl in his system. He died from the fentanyl. So, this guy, John Tursak, 52, the former FBI informant that stabbed Chauvin. So he used an improvised knife and he told authorities he would have killed Chauvin had they not intervened. Now, prosecutors claim that Tersak later disclosed to FBI agents that he had been contemplating assaulting Chauvin for approximately one month due to the fact that he is a high-profile inmate. But he denied intending to murder him. The inmate informed the agents that he planned to attack Chauvin, who's 47, on Black Friday, the day following Thanksgiving, as a symbolic nod to the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black Hand emblem affiliated with the Mexican Mafia gang. In 2001, as I was saying, when Tersak was put away, he was a member of the Mexican Mafia gang. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison, pleading guilty to racketeering, conspiring to kill a rival in the prison-based gang. In 1997, he became an FBI informant and helped authorities with an investigation that resulted in the indictment of more than 40 Mexican mafia members and associates. So, you know, this is a bizarre situation because, you know, Chauvin was actually moved somewhere for his own safety, supposedly, in the prison. And, of course, he was put in contact with this John Tersak, who then used an improvised knife to stab him. I think we know that when we smell a rat, if you will, that's what we see. And there's something very wrong and disturbing about this story and what happened to Derek Chauvin. Just like the Epstein stuff, right? The cameras mysteriously, conveniently stop working. So you can't see what actually happened to Epstein. You just see that he's hanged himself or whatever. I think that's how he offed himself or how they, you know, staged it. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so let's, let's just finish off with the Ron DeSantis debate here. As I said, I didn't watch it. I saw clips. I kind of read and perused some different news. I saw what, you know, the DeSantis cult was saying, and I saw what the Trump cult was saying, and obviously they were opposites. Um, you know, it's unfortunate to me, Captain, because the debate, in my opinion, 
was undermined. It was overshadowed by the motivations of DeSantis and Newsom to have this debate. You know, and I think it's great that we have debates. I think it's wonderful that we we should do this more often, debates of the minds, especially when it comes to red states versus blue states and what works and what doesn't to try and uh, show, frankly, how superior our ideas and policies are. But this is a debate that really should have happened, I don't know, a year or two ago. Outside of this kind of shadow presidential campaign that Newsom's running and this futile, stupid campaign that DeSantis continues to run. Because both of these people on stage are desperate to be president. Desperate to be president. And neither one is going to be president. So it was a selfish endeavor. It attracted some eyeballs, to be fair. I think 5 million people watched it, so it did attract uh, quite a few viewers. I think that DeSantis was overall very strong in the debate. It was a pretty good performance. It was a little kitschy, but it worked. I mean, he brought some different... You know, at one point he showed a, a map of San Francisco, you know, and pointed out on this these... Well, you know, the maps they give you at the hotels where they have, don't walk here, don't walk here, right? They put the poop on there. Avoid the needles, avoid the poop on 3rd Street. You don't want to go there because there's poop. So we brought that and showed it to DeSant- to uh, Newsom. And, you know, New- Newsom didn't, you know, there's this story out there, which the DeSantis campaign is loving. I would too if I was the DeSantis campaign. But apparently the debate was maybe going to continue on and go a little bit longer. But there was some drama in the green room backstage because it was actually Gavin Newsom's wife who supposedly stopped the debate from continuing. She actually intervened on her husband Gavin Newsom's behalf because he was getting schlacked so bad. DeSantis was beating him so bad. But at the end of the day, did this debate have any impact on the 2024 presidential election? No. None. None whatsoever. It's not changing anybody's mind. All it did was fuel the DeSantis, never Trump, Trumpers on that side, who think that DeSantis should be the candidate. To hell with Trump. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe a lot of you watched it. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really have time. It wasn't, I didn't, I just, I didn't have time to do it. And I, I wasn't that engaged. I mean, I, I, I look, I wasn't rooting for Newsom because of my opinions about DeSantis at all, by the way. Um, You know, I want conservative ideas to come out there. I think that DeSantis, you know, often articulates those things very well. Again, I'll tell you, he's been a good governor, but it's other issues that I have with him that, that just outweigh whatever good he's done in the past. And it's very, very unfortunate in my opinion. You know, one of the things that DeSantis did that was another misstep, and and I want to point out something about people in our movement that are kind of a cancer, to be honest. You know, this stereotype of conservatives being bigoted and closed-minded, typically the way they talk about it, it's not true. But somehow DeSantis and his 
Most vehement supporters that are never Trumpers are showing themselves to be just that, the worst conservative stereotypes. So for example, and I might've talked about this last time, but I'll add to it, Caitlyn Jenner. Bruce Jenner, right? He, she, he, biological male, supports Trump. I don't have a problem with that. You know, just because somebody who lives a lifestyle I disagree with, who I disagree with on many things, if they want to support me and what I do or what Trump's doing or support the Constitution, I'm not going to turn them away. And you'll see the hardcore DeSantis folks get upset with Trump and because Bruce Jenner supports him. And so the most recent thing that happened was supposedly he's a founder of one of the BLM chapters. BLM has disowned him for this, by the way, so it destroys the DeSantis narrative about this. But an individual came out. I don't remember his name. He's black, founded a BLM chapter, and he came out in support of Trump saying that Trump does things for black people and Democrats don't. Isn't that good for us, Captain? Isn't that a good thing? Democrats can't win without the black vote. And the big problem is many blacks, including other Americans who support the Democrat Party, have been lied to and bamboozled. We're suffering today because of Democrat policies, because of Joe Biden's policies. But, you know, instead of welcoming this person in and saying, hey, you know what? We, I welcome you in with open arms. Let's talk. Let's continue this conversation. Like, tell me why you support Trump now. Let's get to the bottom of this and let me educate you about things that have been not shared with you because of your loyalty to the Democrat Party. But the DeSantis people, even Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire, they've all come out and condemned Trump and accused him of being sympathetic and an ally of BLM now. Have you heard anything so stupid? You've got blacks who want to come and support Trump and you want to turn them away? I mean, this is crazy to me. And this is the cult mentality of these particular DeSantis supporters. Anything that happens, anything good for Trump, anything pro-Trump, they're going to find a way to condemn it, even if they have to lie about it. So I see these people, I mean, if BLM tomorrow turned around and endorsed Trump, that doesn't mean that Trump is an advocate for Marxist BLM. We should be asked, we should want all these people to join us. Okay, you're with BLM? All right, great. I will make your life better because of my conservative principles and policies. What you were doing with BLM was Marxist. You want to support me? That's them turning their back in some way on those very principles and things that they were abiding by and supporting and believing in before. We have to be a big tent party. It doesn't mean that we change our principles for them. It's amazing too, Captain, like Steve Deese or Dace or whatever, have you pronounce his name? Big Christian. He tells you about it all day long too. You know, everything, you know, Jesus speaks to him and Jesus tells him it's all about DeSantis. I mean, he is the 13th apostle, Captain. I'm sure of it. 
Jesus has chosen Steve Deese to tell me what to think. I'm being kind of a jerk because he is a jerk. Colossal jerk. I'm sorry if you love him, whatever else. I'm probably a jerk sometimes too. At some point, I hope it's water under the bridge that we can come back together and do what's best for the country. But I'm not going to sit here and tolerate it. I'm not engaged in this whole, you know, let's destroy our own party. But I'm not the one doing that. It's Steve Dace and Deese who's trying to convince people that Trump is Hitler. That is the problem in the party. And so, you know, you have Steve coming out. If a transgender supports Trump, if a black person supports Trump from BLM, and you have him saying, no, no, this is horrible. We should condemn it, condemn it. Aren't you a Christian, Steve? Huh? What do you do in your church? I don't know about your church, Steve, but in my church, we're all sinners. We open up the doors and we welcome people in no matter what their background, no matter what their sins are. And you know what? We share the message of Christ to convert them. So I don't understand how Steve Deese, the 13th apostle who wears his Christianity and faith so obviously on his sleeve all the time, he talks about it all the time, how he can sit here and try and push away and prohibit certain Americans from coming and supporting Trump because of their past. It doesn't jive with me, Captain. It doesn't square with me. It's not Christian, and it's frankly stupid politically. We should be welcoming right now and making it clear that we are open. You're suffering because of these policies. Let me show you another way. But instead... You have Steve and these other people out there who are saying, we don't want you. No, no, no. Go back and vote Democrat. You were in BLM? Nah, that's a sin that cannot be atoned for. Who is Steve to forgive the sins, by the way? Who is Steve to be the one to make the decision about who can support Trump and who can't support Trump? And why does that have any reflection whatsoever on Trump and his values? It doesn't change them because someone else supports them. If a bunch of sinners come into your church, does it mean you're a sinful church? That the word of God is corrupted? No, it doesn't. So I, I don't know. Does that make sense, Captain? Anyway, I just got a lot to say there. Look, it's been a long week, and this is the only episode I got to this week. Captain, I'm actually going to close this thing out like 60 minutes on the dot. Are you shocked or what? Yeah, he says, wow. Captain's like... Thank goodness. Thank goodness. It's late here. It's late here. I thought you'd never shut your trap. But anyway, look, I, I, I want to tell you, you know, you know, you know, you know, I'll have somebody. Drew, you're saying you know a lot. I know. I know. I'm sorry. But uh, I, I really deeply love this country. And despite, you know, sometimes me fe feeling or coming off antagonistic, I mean, look, being upset and being angry, that, that's not a crime. Those are real emotions that we should be feeling sometimes when they're appropriate. But at the end of the day, I love my countrymen. And now there's no love lost between me and somebody like Joe Biden and Barack Obama, Ilhan Omar, these people who know what they're doing, that are Marxists trying to destroy the country. But for American citizens out there, Democrats, what I do, I love you. You're, uh, you're my brother and sister. We're Americans. And I really want to push that home. And that's what we need to do right now is to try and create that unity because there's an opportunity to do so. So anyway, that's where we're at. We'll be back next week. 
more news, more information, more to get to. But I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you, how much I appreciate your time, because we do this show for you, not for us. And we put a lot of time into it because we want to be useful, all right? All right, that's it, Captain. I hope everyone has a good weekend. God bless all of you, truly. And until next time. Talk to my friend Drew Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. Has Drew Allen. I look to this guy for wisdom.